Welcome to the e-commerce growth show brought to you by Segmentify. Everyone, uh, this is Carlos with Evolve uh, for another episode of the e-commerce growth show USA. And today we have Daniel Sachs uh, from AppDirect and Scott will be uh, introducing his bio. Daniel, thanks once again for this and we get at it uh, very soon. Great. Thank you so much, Carlos. And uh, uh, thank you for joining us today, uh, Dan. You know, I know this is a, uh, uh, a significant uh, chunk of time uh, uh, out of your day and we really appreciate you uh, uh, coming over and spending some time with us. Uh, both uh, Carlos and I are fascinated by your story uh, and, uh, you know, would love to you know, share that with our audience, uh, as well as just, you know, for our own edification, learn more about how, uh, uh, you know, you got to where you are today and, you know, what that journey was like and, and the things you learned along the way. So uh, uh, you're a pretty young guy, uh, just uh, 35, right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, 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 so, you know, a young guy, but man, you know, looking at the resume, right. You know, as I was, you know, getting ready, you know, for the show today, uh, uh, you know, a lot's happened, uh, uh, you know, in the, in that short time. Right. So, uh, uh, you know, when, you know, kind of going over what your bio looked like, uh, for the show and for our audience, uh, uh, you know, what I discovered is, uh, you know, born in Canada, uh, you have, uh, you know, a, uh, you know, I think a retail heritage, uh, you know, with uh, family. Um, and in fact, uh, uh, your grandparents apparently had a furniture store, which was founded in 1908. That really resonated with me. I spent a long time at the Neiman Marcus Group, which was founded in 1907. Uh, you know, so, uh, 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 you know, uh, you know, also had experience with legacy retail um, that, uh, uh, you were an entrepreneur from the get-go, starting with your first lemonade stand, and uh, you know I saw that you had you know even started a touring company, uh, you know as a young uh, uh, young man uh, in Niagara Falls, uh, uh, as one of the, the facts I found. Uh, and then at just 23 years old, you co-founded AppDirect, which has grown in to uh, you know, a very large uh, a, a company, a well-recognized uh, company, which we'll talk more about uh, today. You've been recognized at, with, by Forbes as 30 under 30 uh, uh, entrepreneurs. Uh, congratulations uh, on that. Uh, uh, and uh, you have uh, uh, described yourself as a lifelong learner, constantly looking to discover and share ideas. And uh, uh, you know, I, I, I certainly admire that uh, and uh, uh, I'm looking forward uh, to sharing some ideas with you today. So welcome again, uh, Dan. Thank you for joining us. Thank, thank you and fantastic to be here. Really excited about this. Great. Um, so, uh, you know, one of the things, you know, when I was sort of poking around on, you know, what's going on lately with Dan, let's just start off with something fun. It looks like you just uh, recently bought a pretty nice house uh, there in LA where you're joining us from uh, today. Uh, amazing. Um, uh, so what's, what's that, uh, experience been like, you know, uh, uh, you know, moving in, you know, to a new, you know, uh, you know, kind of grand place in LA during the, during the pandemic. Uh, no, I appreciate that. I think it, uh, we recently had a baby, so really great to uh, have a place for the family. Oh yeah. Congratulations, uh, on the, on the baby. I did not see that. So, uh, uh, that's something I now know. I didn't know, uh, 
Um, so uh, amazing, uh, and uh, that makes perfect sense. Uh, you know, is why you'd want to, you know, a, you know, a, a new spot uh, uh, for the family. Uh, you know, it, it, it kind of, you know, I found it interesting that, you know, the uh, the folks I work for, uh, RCO just bought a house uh, uh, in Laurel, uh, Laurel Canyon uh, uh, there. So he's, you know, kind of your neighbor, I guess. But uh, uh, anyway, so, uh, you know, I guess, you know, uh, you know, all of uh, uh, the folks I get to talk to lately are buying real estate, uh, uh, you know, in Los Angeles is, is what I'm learning. Um, so well, you want to start maybe let's go back in time. Yeah, let's go back to school days uh, for Dan. Uh, and you know, you're uh, you're off to college, uh, and you're uh, accepted uh, uh, at McGill uh, in their in their business program. Uh, and your mom tells you, "Hey, you ought to try art." Right uh, during that time, and I, I find that fascinating. Uh, you know, and uh, uh, that story. You wanna you wanna shed some light uh, for our audience on that? Yeah, it's great. And you've definitely uh, dug deep at your research, bringing it back to my, my mother. But um, yeah, you know what? I grew up very entrepreneurial, as you mentioned, and was super passionate about business, whether it was my family's furniture store or whether it was other businesses. And I think my mom, when I was probably eight years old, used to catch me reading business biographies. And um, frankly, she was probably spooked off by it. So my <laughs> desire to go to business school was, was maybe something that uh, she understood. But I think um, the perspective that they provided was like, look, you can go to university to broaden your horizons and, um, you know, an arts degree may be, you know, what you need. And, and at the time, I remember um, kind of fighting it, but I realized from studying political science and economics and urban geography, and I took a class in terrestrial planets and sociology, um, psychology, you know, you can really... Uh, connect the dots, um, you know, looking back, but not necessarily at the time. So, um, you know, and the fact arts degree or political science degree was able to broaden my horizons, challenge the way I think, uh, enable me to, to think differently and have, you know, conviction um, in what I do and be able to, um, you know, deal with, uh, you know, people who see the, the world in a different view. Um, and I think those are skill sets that I wouldn't have otherwise, you know, acquired if, if I would have gone to a different program. So, um, so thanks, mom. So yeah, super interesting. You know, and I, you know, I have to say, I really can relate to that. You know, I feel like, you know, I, I, I went through a long career of, you know, kind of being IT and IT infrastructure and, uh, uh some things you can relate to, I guess, you know, in your current, you know, actually, uh, you know, with, uh, with AppDirect, which once again, we'll get to here in a moment, but the, uh, uh, you know, kind of a, a, uh, change point for me, right? You know, where everything changed was when I connected with the visual and the, you know, the more creative side of the retail business and started to combine that with what I knew about technology. And, and then all of a sudden things got really interesting. And, you know, the, the, the arc of my career completely changed uh, at that point from being, you know, sort of IT support to being, you know, innovation and creation and, and you know, all these, you know, I, you know, I think, you know, very interesting places to be. And, and I feel like that's kind of uh, in your DNA, you know, based on that, you know, uh, the story of, you know, uh, early on uh, in your education. Um, your, your story there. I mean, I think um, interdisciplinary study is so important. And what I've found, which is exciting, is that, you know, maybe 20 years ago, people would have gone into study accounting and become an accountant or study, become a lawyer. And I think mm -hmm. today the ability for, people to collaborate across disciplines to solve a problem um, is just so powerful. So 
um, you know, I think that example that you gave, you know, with, with combining design and creativity and IT, um, you know, extends to anything that, uh, you know, you see in technology. And I think today um, it's, it's all about um, not just, let's say, having, you know, one background like business or computer science, but being able to see things with different perspectives. And a lot of the great opportunities and problems to solve are very specific. So, you know, you, if you could um, work with someone who, um, you know, is really deep in the medical field and you have a science background and someone else has a business background, um, you could, you know, essentially unlock a pain point um, that uh, wouldn't have otherwise been able to be unlocked if it was just one person with one discipline. Yeah, you know, I think it, it goes back to that, uh, you know, saying is if you know all you uh, if uh, all you have is a hammer, right? Every problem's a nail, uh, you know. But but you know, if if you can bring different tools to the table, uh, then there's uh, you know different paths and, and creative ways, right, that the problem can get solved. Uh, you know. Uh, you know, another way would be if you're always looking inside the same four walls, right? You always come up with, <laughs> with the same answers, <laughs> uh, 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 I guess. So uh, another, you know, uh, one more thing on school and then we'll move on. But, uh, uh, you know, as I was looking into that, you know, and, and you were talking about business schools and, you know, how that and you even alluded to it just now, you know, that there were, uh, uh, you know, there are good takeaways from business school, but that, uh, uh, there wasn't, you know, I think, you know, what I read between the lines was it wasn't, everything wasn't there that you, you know, you need, right, in, in your toolkit to go out into the world uh, and, and be uh, successful in business. Uh, and, you know, I think uh, 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 one of the uh, uh, quotes that I read when I was looking at it uh, was that uh, uh, it would be better, you know, if there were more case studies on failure uh, and how, uh, you know, failure was addressed, you know, in a, as, in a, in a business environment, you know, uh, and, instead of everything being about how to be successful, how do you deal with failure and what do you, and what do you learn from that? Can you, uh, can you, uh, you know, help enlighten us, uh, on your thoughts there? Yeah, definitely. I think if there's one learning, um, from my entrepreneurial journey is that, um, you fail a lot more than you succeed. So having the conviction in your vision and having the ability to, um, overcome failure and manage your psychology and manage stress, uh, you know, accordingly is so important. And I think that, uh, you know, a lot of times, you know, people will see um, the success stories in terms of, um, you know, X dollar evaluation of your business or, you know, you, you bought this or you did that. But um, truly, I think what's so rewarding across the journey is working on a mission uh, with a team that's super passionate. And I think in order to be able to do that, you have to create a culture of experimentation and embracing failure in um, risk tolerance. And um, one uh, one leader that I really admire is Jim McKelvey from Square. And he, he wrote a book called The Innovation Stack. Um, and he's a lot of uh, collaboration with um, one of his kind of key insights is that, you know, he's got to meet some really impressive people around the world. But his highlight is that, like, everyone's human, everyone's vulnerable. And the more we can speak to the fact that there's no secret sauce to the founders of these companies. It's really just the fact that they're able to um, be forced to, to be at the precipice of extreme failure and that pressure allows them to step up and innovate in something special. Um, and one of the things that we've observed, you know, across the you know 10 plus years uh, that I've been in business has been that every transformation or innovation comes down to a certain characteristics of a person um, that can be this transformative agent that, that's bringing a new vision to reality. And, you know, those characteristics might include things like vision and foresight um, and uh, conviction and uh, passion. 
Um, and it, it's really those things that I think enable someone to, you know, ultimately, um, you know, create something transformative and impactful. Um, and, you know, I think the, the thing that I admire about, you know, Jim's point of view is we shouldn't glorify these people as heroes, which is something that I have a tendency to do. I actually have a, hot, a podcast um, where we speak to these digital heroes and learn from them. Um, but, but what I like about Jim's approach is he said, like, look, we're all, we're all the same. Um, but if you have the opportunity, the unique opportunity to step up when you're faced with an extreme failure and be forced to innovate, um, you know, that's something that, 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 that's really powerful and impactful. And everyone should, um, you know, look for those opportunities where you make the closest to failure actually be the closest. You know, I think I, you know, I heard in that answer, uh, uh, your, uh, and I got this from a different source, but uh, your three elements of a successful company were, were all in there. Uh, you know, which, you know, if I were to say it succinctly, right, it was, you know, you have a, a clearly defined vision that you have clearly defined values and that you have an innovation framework uh, uh, in place uh, for the company is, is what you've said in the past. Uh, 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 for that, uh, you know, and so, and so I found that, uh, uh, you know, to be, uh, uh, I, I, I'm a believer, you know, I think, and 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 what you're what you're putting forth there. So let's let's talk. Uh, and actually, before we do, uh, uh, you, you know, the other thing is, you know, when uh, you know addressing failures, you know, the having lived here in in Texas too long, uh, you know, the you know the you know my. Uh, folksy way of saying that is, uh, you know, you got to kiss a lot of frogs uh, to get to the prince, right? You know, and, uh, you know, that, that was something I had, uh, uh, you know, had to struggle with, uh, you know, working for a hundred year old company, uh, you know, that was that traditional win, 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 you know, sort of attitude and, and all failure was seen as bad, uh, which, which meant that you didn't go try things uh, that you, you, you probably should have tried, even if they weren't going to work, you were going to learn something from them. Uh, so uh, uh, it's good to hear that uh, you know uh, you know leaders uh, out there in the world are, you know recognize uh, uh, and embrace uh, a failure, which is all part of change and innovation, uh, in my opinion. So let's let's talk about uh, uh, AppDirect. Uh, you know what inspired you to found uh, you co-founded actually uh, uh, the company. What what uh, what inspired you? Uh, and what was the early beginnings like and, and how have things evolved uh, uh, to uh, you know, where you are today, which I think is probably, uh, you know, uh, somewhat different than where you were there in the in the early years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my co-founder Nicholas and I started off by really looking at what builds a great business. And, and we, we really looked at patterns of businesses that we admire and we really saw that they were enduring brands, meaning um, brands that were able to outlast multiple waves of innovation. Um, to be transformative in, in society. Um, and we looked at uh, founders and companies like the Four Seasons or Microsoft or Amazon, um, or, uh, you know, you could put, probably put uh, Neiman Marcus in that bucket for a, a long time, you know, yeah, being able to, um, you know, be, be a sustainable brand. And, um, you know, I, I truly think that um, what, what you, you had highlighted was our finding, which was, um, these enduring brands have, you know, three characteristics. One is they have a long-term vision and mission that outlasts like a decade, uh, you know, or a short wave. Um, two, um, they are values-oriented, so clearly defined values. Um, and three is that they have an innovation framework to provide the agility um, for the company to evolve. And um, you know, that was the early innings of AppDirect, where me and my co-founder had 
um, talked about you know all the businesses that we admired and the leaders that we admired and what it would take to build a great business. And we started from there. Um, but the time uh, it was the height of the Great Recession. Businesses were struggling. Yes. Business uh, uh, after starting in two, uh, or sorry, uh, 1908. I went went out of business in 08. And we really attributed that to the lack of access to technology and capital that would allow uh, us to compete. And at the same time, uh, my co-founder was at uh, Bain & Company in San Francisco, and we observed the emergence of cloud business models and as-a-service business models. And, and the thought would be, you know, on one hand, you have businesses on Main Street that are struggling. On the other hand, you have these innovative tech companies that are providing um, easy to access, easy to use subscription services that could enable you to be much more powerful. So the, the early thought was, how do we um, enable businesses around the world to have access to the technologies that are going to enable them to thrive. Um, and you know, fast forward uh, over a decade, um, we're now the leading subscription commerce platform uh, enabling merchants or those people who sell technology um, to be able to uh, really build a digital business selling all the great uh, cloud and communication services out there, whether it's Microsoft 365 or um, DocuSign or, um, you know, connectivity like Zoom and WebEx. Uh, so we've really uh, helped businesses, um, you know, big and small, uh, digitally transform uh, in the current era. Scott, yeah, I yeah. Have a, sorry, I have a question, which is about having a, a, a co-CEO. I find it very interesting. Uh, he's more, if I may ask, the, the technology side of the things, and you're more like the business sort of... Uh, uh, side of things. And the reason why I'm asking this is because I worked for a, a CEO once, uh, a company called VTAX, and he used to talk a lot about mirroring functions, right? So um, CEOs should have like a tech uh, part and things. And the same goes for CFOs and CMOs because everything is digital now nowadays, right? So the whole company should uh, should be able to talk the, the digital lingo, you know, if, if, if I'm making myself understood. So I, I, I find it that very interesting, the role of your co-CEO and how do you, how you guys get along uh, in there. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think the first thing is just shared values and shared vision. So the fact that um, we have such conviction in the vision for the long term and the fact that we have, you know, aligned values on how to operate um, provides a platform for us to really uh, scale and be flexible. And while maybe in the earlier days I would be more business oriented and he would be more technology oriented, we've provided a lot of flexibility and agility um, where um, that's evolved over time. Uh, you know, he focuses on many business functions today. Um, right, right. And, um, so I think that you know, you, you, my advice, and, and this probably applies to relationships too. You know, I find the same thing with my uh, with my wife or with my friends, which is like. You know, you want to make sure that you have shared values and enjoy similar things and also respect each other's differences. So, you know, if I'm passionate about something, um, you know, I can run off on that and, and, and pursue mm -hmm. that opportunity. Likewise, if, if my co-founder is passionate about something, he can go pursue that. Um, but we really have this kind of shared viewpoint on where we, we want the businesses to go. Um, so I think that um, that flexibility and agility um, really provides for a stronger uh, business over time. And, um, you know, what we've really been able to do is kind of leverage, um, you know, our focus, which, which is really both on the mission and enabling our customers to be successful. Um, and it just gives us more opportunity to divide and conquer. Awesome. Thank you. You know, I think I'm trying to, th you know, think back, uh, you know, on, you know, 
2008, which you know, which I do remember quite well because you know, for, and from and being in the retail business at that time, you know, it was basically a time for us to burn the furniture to keep the lights on. You know, business was so bad there for a while. Uh, 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 you know, eventually recovered, but uh, you know, it was it was crazy bad. You know, to the point where you know we had to rewrite you know reports later to skip that year uh, because using that year in you know kind of predictive you know analysis uh, you know of uh, you know for performance and pro uh, you know product buying and that sort of thing was you know it was it was just sort of a uh, you know it, it it had to be thrown out. Uh, 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 and so we spent a lot of time uh, you know dealing with the 2008 anomaly. Uh, if you will, but the uh, uh, you know, so here comes you know this this plethora of of, of high powered services uh, available that 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 basically allow uh, you know an SMB uh, to uh, you know play like the big boys that have invested millions and even billions in their infrastructure, right? You know, I could just go purchase these capabilities right off the shelf and come in and compete. Uh, and and so and, you know, and I, I feel like it's you know even it, it's now it's it's everybody right you know nobody wants to run their own you know infrastructure we're just gonna we're just gonna buy it uh, uh, you know uh, uh, you know from somebody that does it for a living and and uh, you know and uh, it, it, what is that what is that to you uh, and App Direct uh, 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 you know how how did you help enable all that yeah so. Um, one of the big challenges that exists in uh, technology um, as business models were moving from a one-time physical good, so let's say a business buying a CD off the shelf at, at uh, Staples and installing that and paying kind of a one-time fee, um, to moving to as a service in digital, um, there needed to be an infrastructure created to enable uh, businesses to buy these services um, from different uh, uh, providers that they trust. And um, that kind of layer, which we call the, the subscription commerce layer um, of the cloud is something that we've really invested in, not only building the technology to enable it, but also APIs that enable merchants and developers to be able to integrate. Um, so simply put, if you're a business and you wanna buy or subscribe to the software and communication services that you need today, um, there needs to be a lot of backend technology uh, to be able to enable that. And, and we're the standard that enables uh, businesses to buy services from uh, trusted resellers uh, or, or, or uh, merchants that, that sell those services. Would it be fair to, to you know, trying to understand the business model, would the analogy be uh, that all these services are the, are, are, you know, are the individual musicians and you're the conductor, uh, uh, you know, for this? Is that, is, is that kind of what you guys do? Good question. Um, I mean, you could look at it very similar to the App Store in the consumer mobile space, where before the Apple App Store, there were mobile apps, but it was actually very hard for a consumer to get those mobile apps on their phone, somehow find a developer and then manually put it there. But as soon as the App Store uh, was enabled, where you have not only an App Store, but also an operating environment um, to be able to manage all your mobile apps, it created this you know massive proliferation of applications and made it easier for consumers uh, to manage all those services on their phone with things like one password for all apps, one bill for all apps. Um, it's very similar just in the business to business world where, um, you know, an analogy that I sometimes like to use is that if you're, if you were a business 10 years ago and you wanted to um, buy uh, a really good technology stack, um, 
you know, it's like going car dealer trying to buy a Ferrari and the dealer giving you like all the parts separately and having you to assemble it. So there's a, a lot of great technology out there that's super expensive, but it's not pre-assembled in a way that works for you. And we wanted to kind of solve that problem from the core to enable you to have best of breed solutions um, that you can subscribe to that may be from different vendors, but they all work together in harmony. And what we found today is that more and more businesses, even if they're small or medium, may be using dozens, if not hundreds of applications or services. So the ability for those services to um, work very well together with one password, centralized security, um, centralized billing, and being able to get premium support from uh, uh, buying it from is so critical. Um, so we've really uh, you know, focused on delivering a solution um, that pulls together um, the best of breed IT solutions for businesses. So, you know, you started in 2009, instantly successful or, or was, was there some pivoting to get to where you are today? Honestly, it's funny because we don't, and we don't necessarily use the word pivot because I think we've been very consistent on our vision and mission. And I'd say true to this day, we're always, you know, working toward um, our uh, vision of making business technology accessible so anyone can thrive in the digital economy. It's really been kind of the core premise to, to the business from day one. That said, uh, man, if we had to, to brace our kind of fair share of challenges, um, you know, shifts in, in strategy and, and really kind of being attentive to customers in the market. So I think that um, if you have strong conviction in your vision, but you're able to get a lot, use data um, and inputs from your customers to be able to be agile, that's super important. Um, so I remember when Nick and I were starting the company, we, you know, we said we really have to value um, positivity and kind of embrace the good times because I'm sure that it's going to be a roller coaster and there's going to be a lot of uh, failures along the way. And uh, man, that's, that's one thing that I feel was very true. It, it sometimes feels like a roller coaster. And, you know, I'd say that um, when I speak to, you know, in my, my podcast, Decoding Digital, or in my conversations with, um, you know, leaders, uh, I am a trait. So anyone who's, you know, outlasted and, and kind of been in a role for, for multiple uh, years or decades, um, there's kind of this unanimous thought that, you know, even though the company might get bigger and people on the outside might perceive that, you know, it's easier, um, you know, it always feels like a, a roller coaster. So um, smoothing that out for your team and managing your psychology um, you know, and your wellness is so important. So one of the things we really focus on with our culture is what we call a peak performance culture, um, where we provide a lot of um, resource uh, for people to not only be um, you know, uh, really good at what they do at the job in terms of skills, but also really good at managing um, their own well-being. So things like focusing on habits and sleep and mental health um, and fitness and nutrition are all things that we contribute that we think contributors being successful and an entire organizations being successful. So that's something that we've definitely um, you know looked at, at incorporating across our culture and our community. Yeah, you know, I mean, that actually uh, uh, leads into directly into something I wanted to ask you about, you know, and that was, uh, uh, you know, before the pandemic started, one of the, uh, the things that, you know, I read uh, you saying was uh, the most important strategic issue facing your company, your industry was the ability to attract, train and retain the appropriate talent. And some of the things you just said, I think, are, uh, you know, part of what you came up with as uh, the solution uh, to that. Uh, would, uh, would you agree? Yeah. yeah, you know, I think like if I were to distill one skill set that I think is super important in entrepreneurship is um, 
be able, being able to uh, cultivate talent. Um, and that really is a key to being able to execute on your vision and, um, you know, uh, grow a company based on values and innovation culture. So, um, you know, we spent a lot of time looking at you know, how do you attract talent? How do you retain that talent, grow that talent? Um, and how do you, you know, uh, train them? And what we've found is, it, you know, great talent um, wants to come to a company that's going to challenge them beyond just the work today. Um, so how can you show them a, a career for them that they're making an impact, whether that be, um, you know, through the mission of the company um, or through the work that they do? Um, and, you know, ultimately, how do you uh, make sure that the experience is so great that uh, people, there's something unique in your culture and, uh, and your business? Have, have you, have you know, has the, the pool of talent, you know, where, where you find it, where is it, where it's located? Has it, has it, has it changed? I mean, have you primarily been drawing from, you know, say Silicon Valley and, 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 and is that still the case or, uh, you know, is, is talent, you know, elsewhere? It's a huge evolution over the last uh, decade. So when we started, we really, uh, we were in an apartment in San Francisco and we did find that, um, you know, the, the world's leaders in which we were looking for were within a few blocks away and you couldn't find them anywhere else. So Andy Sen, our technical co-founder and CTO, came from the Salesforce App Exchange and, and was one of the first uh, product managers there. And that was kind of the, the only SaaS marketplace that existed. So, um, so I think that, you know, back, you know, a few years ago, you could argue that the talent was unique in Silicon Valley. Um, I think what's so great today is that you have a global, um, you know, economy of talent, um, and you know many universities are innovating on AI and uh, ML and data science, and many um, companies are now successful in many regions. So um, we've scaled our business across many different hubs around the world. But Montreal, for example, has been a great hub. Where when we went there, uh, when I went to McGill there, you know, there was no talk about startups or technology. Although there was, you know, a great uh, base of people trained in computer science, and um, we opened up an office there, you know, maybe eight years ago. We've just seen such uh, momentum in the uh, talent market and in great companies like uh, Lightspeed and Shopify and, and others uh, being there, which is cultivating a great startup community. And we're in many different markets around the world, including Pune, India, Buenos Aires, um, and just uh, I think talent can be found anywhere. So. What COVID has really done is challenged all of us to think in a digital first way. Um, and, uh, you know, while we love collaborating in person, and think it's super important. I think many businesses around the world today have flexibility in where to locate, you know, if anywhere, uh, you know, versus being uh, true digital. And I think there's a lot of options uh, that, that will uh, come out of this. I think maybe there's a, a circular connection there in terms of, uh, you know, businesses like yours and, and the services that you're, you know, that you're selling are, are enablers of all those things you were just talking about. Right. You know, in terms of, uh, you know, I go back to, you know, the 90s or the early 2000s where, you know, the only way to work was to go show up at the at the door. Right. And, and, and go sit in your sit at your desk. Uh, that's not the case anymore. In fact, your what your, uh, your your own podcast. I think the last episode, uh, you know, spoke specifically, uh, you know, to the virtual workspace, uh, and uh, uh, you know, I, I was fascinated by that. Uh, uh, you know, the company I'm at now, we're 100% virtual. You know, there's not there's there, the only the only address we have is you know a PO box to send the check to. Uh, uh, you know, that's it. Um, yeah, it was really fun. So, the, um, 
the, when you're referencing that, that was Mark Templeton, um, who's the long-term CEO of Citrix and kind of built it into a $20 billion plus uh, market cap uh, public company. And he was the first person to pioneer the virtual workspace. And it was interesting to hear because we use technology, so it's so obvious how to describe it. When you go back to his original concept, you know, he was describing how they came up with the idea and how to explain it. And I mean, this was when, uh, like, I think this was even before I, I remember my first computer, but I, you know, you assume that maybe like one was the kind of operating system and um, you know, you had to describe that somehow how there'd be this virtual way to work and need to be sitting where your servers were. I mean, it's pretty incredible. Certain technologists and visionaries can see so far into the future to describe things that are so far from the reality. Um, that gave me, you know, a cause to really think, okay, what do we think is going to happen, you know, 10, 20 years out? How, how do we even, you know, begin to describe it? You know, uh, just to age myself uh, for you, Dan, uh, my first OS was DOS 1.0. So, uh, uh, you know, well before, well before uh, uh, Windows, you know, hit the scene, which was amazing. And, and, you know, so I got to observe, you know, kind of that Citrix evolution, you know, from the, you know, the early, you know, uh, you know, initial that they were around to enable kind of remote access, you know, kind of stuff to uh, really, you know, uh, you know, delivering an entire, you know, virtual uh, uh, experience to whatever screen I was sitting in front of, right? You know, it was, uh, it was, a, you know, it was kind of screen agnostic, right? In terms of, you know, I could get my desktop at the point of need. Uh, and, and, and that's all, you know, that's all led up, I think, to where we are today, you know, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, me being able to, you know, a whole year of being at home, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, was able to conduct business completely normally, you know, because, uh, you know, everything I need can be delivered, you know, to my desktop here uh, uh, at the house. And, I, you know, a lot of people uh, uh, were already doing that and a lot more are now doing it thanks to, you know, you know, necessity, right, uh, at the last year. So let's let's talk a little bit uh, uh, about that. Um, uh, so let's go specifically to commerce and e-commerce a second. This is the e-commerce growth show, after all. So thinking about AppDirect uh, and AppSmart, uh, uh, you know, where is your uh, play in terms of benefiting uh, e-commerce and commerce uh, uh, providers? Yeah. So um, e-commerce is a good term, and you know, you see a lot of uh, commerce has transformed digitally, um, but it's been built around what I call the physical goods economy. So you have you know, Amazon that sells books and then you had you know, Shopify emerge as a commerce platform to enable merchants to be able to sell other physical goods, um, whether it be a skateboard or a t-shirt um, and build their own stores. Um, but largely um, commerce has been uh, an experience to be able to sell a one-time physical good in a shopping cart. And one of the guys with the as a service economy um, and this, is that a whole new supply chain needs to be created to enable this to business technologies um, or digital recurring services. What Amazon or Shopify or others have done, they've really built out an infrastructure to digitally transform uh, the physical goods economy. And that required everything from a storefront to a one-time, uh, to being able to sell, uh, you know, put in your credit card, to being able to ship and make sure that that got fulfilled. Um, and, and that's, you know, the majority of when people think of e-commerce, that's what think of, but, um, business economy is massive market, right? Um, hundreds of 
billions of dollars and um, the digital structure to enable the as a service economy uh, didn't exist uh, you know pre yeah, direct. So we've spent a lot of time um, really building out w the equivalent of uh, you know the one-time check in the digital world, which is APIs. So similar to other commerce companies, uh, we builder and we have a checko, um, but whereas their experience uh, typically ends at point of shipping uh, when you check out, um, ours really. Uh, enables APIs uh, to be able to digitally provide access to services on an ongoing basis because they're all subscription-based. So that's really the economy that we're enabling um, is for business-to-business -business recurring services, uh, whereas m most of commerce to date has been around the, the physical goods economy. Got it, got it. Um, if, you, if you think about, uh, uh, you know, uh, the pandemic-wise specifically, right, you know, there was a lot of innovation uh, uh, in e-commerce uh, and commerce, uh, you know, physical uh, physical uh, retail uh, over the last year. Once again, it was you know uh, necessity being the mother of invention. Uh, uh, you know, if I can't open my store, how am I going to keep the lights on? Right, uh, uh, you know, kinds of uh, kind of a situation. Uh, and so you you saw you know all, you know this this rapid uh, implementation of things like uh, curbside pickup as you know as you know the example everybody uses but you know there, there was more to it than just that uh, and and you also saw some regression of things as well like you know my you know my Amazon Prime all of a sudden wasn't really all that primey you know it uh, you know it was taking longer to get stuff because the supply chain was broken and uh, you know there, there there wasn't as much stuff to give. Uh, uh, and, and, and there wasn't enough people, you know, to give it, <laughs> you know, if you will. Definitely, uh, so, uh, toilet paper is in that category. Yeah. So if you, if you think about, you know, all this this, this innovation that had to occur, uh, you know, over the last year, uh, you know, some of it, like I said, quite, you know, uh, companies moving quite agilely that weren't normally very agile. Uh, uh, how much of that's going to stick? What's going to, you know, uh, uh, is, are we going to revert back to our old ways or are we, uh, you know, on the fast track from here on, do you think? I mean, I definitely think that there was an acceleration of innovation and businesses recognized that in order to um, not just thrive, but in order to survive, they were forced to innovate. Um, and um, I think that that created a new mindset for many businesses. And I think that will be forever ingrained in the culture of business. Um, and... I think, you know, even when it comes to, um, you know, our organization, uh, we always talked about being digital first, but, you know, this really forced us to live that. And it's also a question, you know, do we come back in a different way, right, when we re-enter uh, kind of the, the physical world? Um, yeah, and I, I think this is a, a problem that every business is facing. But I think, you know, what, what it clearly did is challenge everyone um, to think differently about the way they work. Um, and that's where I think culture and values are going to be, you know, that much more important because uh, talent or employees will have the opportunity to work in many different places. Some people might gravitate to a, you know, physical in, in person environment. Others might want um, to just work from home and others might want to be, um, you know, hybrid. So I think you're going to see many more models. And, and, and uh, I think unanimous theme, though, is that people will always remember these days and know that, um, you know, being forced to innovate did a lot of good. Uh, How, what, what was, what's the app direct model? Are you, are you guys, uh, you know, doing all work from home now or is there a, you know, sort of a hybrid or how are you guys doing it? Yeah, we put out a, a mission and well saying we're, 
probably the, one of the first offices and go remote and probably one of the last to go back. So um, we we have a global organization. While you know in California, uh, you know people are hopeful to go back soon. Um, many of the markets that we operate, you know, COVID is still uh, a, a very big issue. So we're staying remote through, through end of year. Um, and then we're going to reevaluate in Q1. Uh, but we only want to go back when it's safe and when uh, all of our team members can be really on an even playing field. And, I, and I, I, Carlos, I know, I, I think I may have stepped on you. You had a question? You did, but that's okay. Sorry, sorry about that. <laughs> no, uh, I had a question about... Uh, innovation. I, I listened on your podcast. You were talking about a flower shop uh, that you went with uh, your your wife, and you know one of the coolest flower shops you've been to. And and all of a sudden the lady had to sissy. I don't remember. It, it sounded even exactly. like a Brazilian name. Um, yeah. So she had to close the shop, close the store, and you know all of a sudden she innovated tremendously. And I I think that was quite a cool example you gave on as a very small company you know that managed to 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 go through it right and yeah what I wanted to ask, yeah if you had yeah. if you have some other examples as well because i think would be quite quite interesting to hear from you it, it would be interesting to hear if you had uh if you have other examples on innovation that you've seen and that one that i'm referring yeah. to because Right. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, so one, uh, in full disclosure, this is my my, my brother's company. It's um, a company called West Coast Seeds, based in Vancouver, Canada, and um, they had a um, farmed organic seeds, so they made sure that they had quality organic um, seeds, or fruit, or, and um, they would package them and sell them through um, different, you know, the Whole Foods or, or kind of local lures. And when COVID hit, um, gardening actually became like a real trend. Um, so yeah. they did have an e-commerce business, which was maybe a very small percentage of their revenue. Um, and it was kind of on a, on a legacy stack, but they very quickly deployed a new store. And, um, you know, within a matter of months, um, revenue uh, outpaced, or D2C revenue, you know, outpaced even their, their traditional business. Um, and it was great to see kind of the innovation that they had, not only in being able to sell, um, you know, these seeds online, but cultivate a community online around gardening. And um, it's become, you know, a huge bit for people to, uh, you know, garden at home. And they had uh, a you know, slew of interest uh, from, uh, you know, new people, whether it's uh, celebrities or others that were picking up the trend. And one of the things that um, they did, which was, I thought, really, really interesting, um, what their equivalent of uh, Fauci uh, with the CDC in the U.S. Um, w was a woman called Bonnie Henry um, in British Columbia, and, and um, created a seed in her name because she was doing so many to kind of protect the health and wellness of citizens in BC, um, donating to a charity of her choice, all the proceeds, which I think was the um, bank in in, in Vancouver. Um, but it was just incredible to see not only. Um, company have to figure out how to online, but they had to figure out all types of new uh, capabilities, like building an ecosystem. Oh, and thinking about new types of um, online marketing. Um, so, so I think it's just great seeing like all these different stories of companies that are forced to innovate, but ultimately, I think they came through it with a bigger, more resilient business.
Mm -hmm. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. So Dan, let's, let's, uh, uh, let's look forward a little bit. Let's, you know, let's look at, you know, 2021 and beyond, uh, uh, for a minute. Uh, and so uh, maybe you could talk us through, uh, you know, what you see in terms of subscription commerce growth uh, in 2021 and beyond. Um, so I think it's re really critical today that everyone, you know, most businesses know that in order to, uh, you know, survive and thrive, they need to embrace digital technologies. So, um, you know, when we think about subscription commerce, it's about accelerating the pace of businesses adopting uh, digital technologies. Um, so this was a, a marquee kind of tipping point um, where it's no longer just, uh, you know, some innovative companies that are, uh, you know, employing uh, cloud as a strategy. It's, it's every business, uh, big and small, old and new around the world. Uh, and so I think we're going to continue to see an acceleration. Um, and then one thing I've been thinking about, which, which yeah, you kind of triggered this when we spoke to um, the Citrix case and kind of DOS to Windows to whatever's in the future, is um, with millennials and Gen Zs and many new people who are, um, you know, emerging in their careers in this industry, um, the speed and pace and, uh, you know, of the way that we innovate is far different. So I think, you know, in the past, many uh, people would have said, okay, there's technology companies like a Microsoft or a Google or a Facebook, and then there's the rest of the world. And I think now it's very clear that every business needs to be a technology business. And to the way we started this uh, discussion around um, you know, interdisciplinary study, I think you're gonna see far more collaboration where technology is now going to um, you know, take on new areas um, due to uh, you know, people in different disciplines collaborating around solving problems uh, digitally and doing that at a much more rapid pace than ever. Yeah, I think, you know, I, my, my one thought on that is I, I, I do agree, everybody has to be good at technology uh, uh, to thrive, right. To thrive and grow. Uh, 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 you just can't forget, you know, that, you know, there are humans involved in all this and that, uh, you know, the technology is there to enable that connection, right. You know, it's not there to replace it. Um, uh, you know, as, that's as exactly what yeah, yeah, we're doing a, a research study now. For, um, sorry, sorry. Uh, we're, we're actually doing a research study now with, uh, Gerald Kane, who is the author of a book called the technology fallacy. And what he found is, is that, um, you know, you can license all the technology in the world, but it's about the people implement it. Um, so we're looking specifically at the characteristics that enable these transformative leaders or digital heroes. Um, so yeah, I would definitely encourage you to check out the podcast, which is Decoding Digital, um, or uh, some of the thought leadership we're putting out at AppDirect around um, what it takes to be, uh, you know, to, to thrive digitally. So, you know, one of the things you, you mentioned, right, you know, was the pace of change, right, you know, which uh, uh, definitely things continue to accelerate, you know, and, and the change just keeps coming at businesses faster and faster. I mean, I think, uh, you know, uh, you know, even Neiman Marcus, you know, it wasn't that uh, they weren't willing to embrace change. They just, it, you know, the, the amount of change that they needed to embrace was so much that it was, you know, it, 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 they just, it, it, they couldn't keep up. Uh, you know, sometimes, uh, uh, you know, with it and, and, and it wasn't unique to them. Right. You know, everybody was experiencing this 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 incredible uh, uh, increase in change rate. So what's going to happen going forward? Uh, you know, is, is, is it going to continue to grow the pace and, and how do we keep up with it? I think it, I, I think the pace will only accelerate. And it's good if you look back, every decade probably feels this way. Um, but we're at the point where the pace of change is happening so fast 
that no longer, I think, will we be dependent on kind of humans only to innovate. I think that um, we're going to have to, you know, future technology leaders that want to keep pace with the pace of change need to be using data and uh, algorithms to be able to make decisions. Um, so I think we're kind of in many ways past the point of no return where technology is here to stay and it's about how we uh, interact with it and make sure that we we, we do so on, um, you know, the right ethical pretenses. Um, so I, I, I truly think that the best is yet to come, um, but it's uh, it's scary and it's fast and uh, we have to be malleable to be able to, uh, you know, keep up with that. Well, Dan, we referred to your own podcast several times uh, uh, during our uh, uh, talk today, Decoding Digital. Uh, tell our listeners uh, where they can find uh, and listen uh, to episodes for themselves. Yeah, great. So feel free to go to decodingdigital.com or appdirect.com slash decodingdigital um, or find it on your podcast player of choice. Excellent. Uh, and, you know, I have to tell you that, you know, as, as part of just kind of getting to know you ahead of time that, you know, I spent a lot of time on the podcast and uh, well worth uh, uh, the trip, to, you know, to, uh, to go in and take a listen. A lot of a lot of good stuff there. So, uh, you know, I think we're out of time, uh, uh, Dan. It flew by. Uh, uh, we want uh, Carlos and I want to thank you again for taking thank time you, out of your busy day to, uh, to join us. Uh, and uh, uh, thrilled uh, uh, to, to get your insight and 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 take uh, you know on the uh, uh, the state of uh, cloud and and commerce and all sorts of things. Thank you very well, much. Thanks. Yeah, thanks to you and Carlos. And I just want to say that so much of uh, technology adoption comes down to education, and particularly when it comes to commerce. So um, what you're doing in the community you're building is so critical to enabling um, all these businesses around the world to adopt e-commerce. So thanks for uh, what you're doing. All right. Much appreciated. You have a great day, Dan. Thank you. Take care. You too. Thanks. Bye.